With all the pandemic pandemonium and civil unrest, where are you turning to cope? Binge watching TV or the Bible? Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the show. I appreciate you joining me. I'm your host, Michael Russell. Today we'll be discussing the results of an article I came across on ChristianHeadlines.com site. And the article was called, quote, To cope with pandemic, Americans choose binge-watching TV over the Bible, end quote. Which, according to the article, was based off a Pew Research Center survey that was released Friday, August 7th. Among the several statistics the author of the article, a woman named Emily McFarlane Miller, cited included a section of the survey which shows, quote, U.S. adults regularly turn to a variety of activities to help cope with coronavirus outbreak, end quote. This was section two of the three primary section results of the survey and showed that based on the questions on how they coped, and this is a group of people, 10,211 surveyed people, and these percentages are actually, whether it's daily or weekly, uh, it's combined. So the combined uh, composite percentage of people responded to how they cope with coronavirus this way. 89% of them said they watch TV or movies. 84% said they spend time outdoors. 70% said they talk on the phone or video conference with friends or family. 64% said they exercise, and that's to cope with this pandemic. 55% said they pray. 29% they said they read scripture. 26% said they meditate. No specifics laid out in the results, just they meditate. And 8% said they do yoga. Now, granted, there could be any number of reasons for these results, the way the questions are asked or, or formed, what have you. But what I want to discuss and maybe explore is if this is true in that when people are stressed out, they simply turn to TV or other outlets some of which I don't think are bad in and of themselves, but why? Why is it that their response is to do that? Why isn't their response prayer or reading God's word? So that's what I'm going to investigate a little bit, granted on my own, but based on the results that I read in the Pew Research publication. So section two of that research publication, the first sentence states, now this is coming right out of the survey results from the Pew Research Center uh, website and this August 7th, 2020 publication. The first sentence says, the coronavirus outbreak has created unprecedented stress and uncertainty in the lives of many Americans. The survey finds that U.S. adults turn to many different activities on, on a regular basis to help cope with the pandemic. The vast majority of adults say 
They watch TV or movies on a daily basis. That's 73% on a daily basis. And a similar majority, 57%, spend time outdoors every day to help make it through the crisis. Fewer say they regularly turn to religious activities like prayer and scripture reading to help them cope, although these activities are more common among certain Christian groups. End quote. Now, I emphasize the word cope for a reason. According to Oxford's dictionary, the word cope means, quote, deal effectively with something difficult, end quote. However, when you define cope this way, and the way the majority of Americans are coping, then it doesn't seem to work, does it? I mean, if to cope means to deal effectively with something difficult and what we are dealing with, I'm sorry, and what we are doing to cope is watch TV, does that really seem like it's dealing effectively with something difficult by simply watching TV? So I tried a different dictionary. Maybe I was maybe I'd get a better definition out of Merriam-Webster to help us understand maybe the article or or what's going on. So Merriam-Webster's definition of cope is to deal with and attempt to overcome problems and difficulties. So Oxford said, deal effectively with something difficult. Merriam-Webster says, to deal with and attempt to overcome problems and difficulties. Okay, I don't think I'm off base here, but let me set up a scenario. If my wife and I were fighting about something, and let's say the topic had just been grinding away at us, just, just, got, you know, just dealing with it over and over and over for a long period of time, maybe months, Maybe since March to now, and we're in August 24th, like the pandemic, but it's something that's just driving us. So we decide we're going to cope with this by turning on the TV. Now, that doesn't seem to me to actually be trying to deal with and attempt to overcome the problem. That's using Merriam-Webster's definition. Rather, it seems to me to be trying to forget about dealing with the crisis. Hope it just goes away, or maybe these two dictionary definitions are wrong. Or, or maybe the word cope or coping is probably not the right word from the article. Now, it seems to me that I'm trying... I'm, I'm, I'm poking at this here a little bit, and, and I'm doing that on purpose. And I'm doing it on purpose simply because the article set the stage. The article is the one that said, it seems as though the way people are coping with the pandemic are running to TV more than they are running to the Bible. That was kind of the gist of the article. Okay, So I am poking at it a bit here, but I do recognize that there are a lot of things in play with the pandemic. The article pit coping via TV watching against coping through spiritual pursuits, reading the Bible or praying. And when we look back over the list of things mentioned in the coping percentages, 
and we see several that I could argue may not, quote, overcome problems and difficulties, end quote, related to the pandemic. So the word overcome, by the way, when we're dealing with cope, the word overcome means success in dealing with, according to Oxford, or it means to get the better of, according to Webster. So when we look back over the list of things America's, Americans are doing to cope and to overcome, just be reminded, 86, 89% of them watch TV or movies. 84% spend time outdoors. 70% talk on the phone or video conference with friends or family. 64% exercise. 55% pray. 29% read scripture, 26 meditate, and 8 do yoga. Now, of these, the top four somewhat surprised me. In light of the definition for coping and overcoming, I noted, watching TV, spending time outdoors, talking on the phone, or exercising will not stop or overcome the pandemic. Granted, these things support mental health for a time, distracting, maybe distracting us from trouble. And I do understand this whole thing isn't just about COVID-19. Due to the fact that jobs are shutting down and being lost, in fact, just today, just today, Monday the 24th, I heard that one of my children's friends lost their job. The company either folded or just was losing business so badly they had to had to lay off so i get it there's more going on the economy is struggling civil unrest and social justice issues racism trust issues the 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 dividedness you know between political parties all these things are just bringing stress i get it i get it i'm living it and this isn't just unique to California, where I live, or, or even the United States, where I live. This is worldwide. And though some places in the world are, are going crazier than others and having more difficulties than others, this is worldwide. I don't think any one of us is, is dismissing that. So I get it. And I think with all these things, it becomes more clear that watching TV to cope or deal with it isn't really a solution. Rather, it's a way of forgetting about the troubles so you can sleep at night. And I, and I get that. I get it. So the human mechanism of kind of a let's just get through this and hope it goes away soon is a real thing. And not, and though this, this method of doing it is not a strategy, strategy that's actually going to overcome the problem. I hope you see where I'm going here. I hope you hope it makes sense to you. It is similar, I would say, to someone that is under immense pressure and they choose to drink, you know, to get drunk just to forget it, knowing good and well that tomorrow when they wake up, the stuff is still going to be there. Please, folks, do not do destructive things to your life to try to quote-unquote cope. There is hope. Truly, there is hope. So from the list 
I would also include yoga as not really a solution to the problem. And and I just want to say, you know, from the physical aspects of yoga, I get it. It is a tough, tough uh, discipline. No question. I've tried a little tiny bit of it, and it doesn't take me but five or six seconds, and I'm done. I mean, it is tough, tough, tough. Some of the downward dogs or the, <laughs> the, the, I don't even know all the names of them, but some of them are tough, and I get it. I get it. However, with yoga, the full breath of yoga, there is a spiritual tenant. And as a Christian man, I would argue that that spirituality is not Christian. So I would not necessarily uh, be a proponent of that as a way of dealing with the pandemic crisis, for example. Okay. I'm taking a position. I, I appreciate that you may not agree with me, but I'm taking a position here. And I'm going to attempt to offer some alternative solutions that I think are more more better. Praying and reading scripture as a Christian, I believe, are the best strategies we can take. And the reason I think so are articulated in scripture. Possibly the most famous passage on this would come from Second Chronicles 7. At least, at least I'm going to take that position and start that off. There are so many passages in Scripture we can probably point to, but for right now, I think we'll rest on Second Chronicles chapter 7. But before I read it, I want to make it clear that all evil and strife in this world is due to sin. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this, this death that we talk about is both spiritual and physical. And I think it's, it's very clear to every single human being that every single human being dies. And the reason for that is sin. That every single human being, myself included, have sinned against the holy, perfect creator of the universe. We have broken his law. All of us. The God of the universe is a loving and just God. He is perfect and holy. And we know throughout scripture that we see times that God judges, causing pestilence or war or such things to happen. And it's a judgment, it's a discipline against the people of the world, creation and their sin. And then we also see times where God is healing the land and his people. And we see that from this very passage in Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I'll read and I'll pick up at verse 13. Now this is right after Solomon, the second king of Israel, finished building the temple. And God and Solomon are communicating. And God says to Solomon, When I, he's speaking of himself, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land." 
Now my eye will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now this passage may be pretty shocking to you, especially if you're not familiar with Scripture and you don't read it much. This God of love you've heard about, how is that love? As I said a little bit ago, God is loving and he is also just. God is perfect. He's holy. He's moral. He sets moral and ethic standards. He is morality and ethics. And we've ignored them or we've broken them. And with that comes judgment. The wages of sin is death. And he is just as ex, uh, just in exercising that judgment. And there are times he delays. Scripture tells us that he is patient with us, not wanting any to perish. Yet he has every right to exact full judgment on the sinful, corrupt world. And he will. But what about love? Where is this loving God we hear about? And maybe we seem to only talk about it. Where is it? Isn't that what has driven people away from God? If he's a loving God and all-powerful, then why let all this happen to us, on, uh, you know, us humans on earth? And I understand the question. <laughs> let me attempt to answer them. From the story of Genesis about Adam and Eve and the serpent, the devil, there was a dialogue between the serpent and Eve, and I'll pick up in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This story refers to what we call the fall. This is when sin entered creation. As you read through the rest of that story in Genesis chapter 3, God basically pronounces judgment on Adam, Eve, and Satan. And part of that judgment included creation, that all creation was now cursed by sin. Adam was given one command, to not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
It took one simple deceptive comment to Eve to move her to disobey. And that comment was, You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God is holding back on you. You can't trust him. See for yourself. Disobey him and you'll be like him. And we continue to do that today. We strive to be self-sufficient, not needing anyone or anything, especially a crutch like God, until there's a pandemic. Then we pray and demand God to put an end to it. And when it doesn't happen, we dismiss God. Frankly, because he didn't do what you asked him to do. He didn't obey. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? Mankind wants to be God. I've, I've taught uh, in India several times, training trainers and church planners and everything. And I refer to this, mankind wanting to be God, as the God complex. And we all have it. Even Christians, we struggle with it. And we fight it down. We mortify our bodies to, to humble ourselves and trust God's in control, not me. And to submit to that. Remember the story of Adam and Eve. We want the world to revolve around us. So when we pray, we expect God to do what we prayed. If he doesn't, we dismiss him. As either weak or not in control or maybe not even real. The more we succeed in life on our own, the more pride we feel and the less God we need. But we have been focusing on God's justice. Now let me take some time to talk about God's love. Even from this very story in Genesis, when God punishes Adam, Eve, and Satan, he not only promises one to come that will crush Satan and sin and death, but he also atones for Adam and Eve's sin, right there. He gives them coverings to cover their shame and nakedness. That's their sin. And we move through biblical history. Sin immediately ramps up with Adam and Eve's first child, Cain, killing their second-born son, Abel. That's in Genesis 4, believe it or not. Sin reaches a point where God... Exacts his judgment through the flood with Noah. Following the flood, we're brought to the account of Moses and his giving the people the law, the Ten Commandments. And Scripture tells us clearly in the book of Deuteronomy 8 that God made it clear that the giving of the law was to test the people to see if they would obey him. And they didn't. In fact, they can't. We can't. Because we're broken. We're sinful. We're dead spiritually. But God continued to provide for them and care for them as he does us. 
Then we're brought to the account of a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph and a little baby named Jesus. God the Son. Yes, Jesus was God who came to earth and took on flesh of a man, the flesh of a creature. The Creator took on the flesh of a creature to live among us and represent us as our high priest before God the Father and make atonement for us, for our sins. However, unlike previous high priests who had to atone for the people through animal sacrifice, Scripture tells us that it's only through the shedding of blood that sin can be atoned for. And the animal blood was not sufficient to cover all sin, so it was repeated over and over and over. So God the Father sent his Son, God the Son, to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and represent man before the Father as our high priest, to make atonement, to shed blood for the people. However, this time, it was his blood, his life that was shed. God the Son, Jesus Christ, gave up his own life to pay the debt of sin for all who believe. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What a passage. What a passage. If we turn to the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us, chapter 2, verse 14 and following, Since the children have flesh and blood, meaning us, he too, Christ too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Abraham's descendants are those who believe God by faith and that trust God that he will save them. Verse 17 goes on. For this reason, he had made a full, I'm sorry, he had been had to be made like them, he meaning Christ, had to be made like us, like man, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for us and for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." And the writer continues a couple chapters later in chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may have mercy, may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a passage. You see, folks, God knows what we are suffering. He has suffered in every way as we have, and yet did it without sinning. 
so that he could be our spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by the sacrifice of his own life. He paid our debt and offers us his righteousness. That is what the famous John 3.16 passage is all about. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Folks, this is the love of God on display. When we, we rebel against God and sinned and brought punishment on ourselves, God in his mercy sent his Son, God the Son, to earth to take on flesh as we have, relate to us on our level, live a perfect and sinless life as our example for the sole purpose of representing us as our high priest and making the last offering needed once for all the saints, which was his own life. God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ, and Christ's righteousness is there for those who believe, those who recognize their sinfulness, repent of that sin, turning a life, their life away from the practice of that sin, and crying out to Christ to save them. Yes, we will suffer in this life. There is going to be trials and evil that we contend with because this world is broken. And ultimately death, if he doesn't come before that. But that's only death in the flesh. Our hope is heavenly. Our hope is eternal. Our hope is a future new heaven and new earth. Where there is no more pain, evil, tears, sickness, or death. So as we close out this episode, when it comes to coping in times of great distress and difficulty, don't run to Netflix and Hulu. Run to Jesus Christ, his word, and deep prayer to the God of the universe. Be blessed. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others and join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed.